All right, we are into Daniel chapter 4 this morning. <laughs> now, we've been following, and, and, and there's been a struggle in my, in my mind, not really a struggle, but we call, this is about the life of Daniel and the book of Daniel, but these first four chapters are telling us so much about the power of King Nebuchadnezzar and how he abuses that power, how he, he proclaims God's name, how he has kind of a short-term a memory with what God has been doing in his life and in the life of his nation. And today kind of continues that thread. King Nebuchadnezzar obviously had a very uh, deep dream life. When he was sleeping, he tended to have dreams, it seemed. And he wanted to have answers to his dreams. Now, I'm one of those people, I'm quite a light sleeper, and I rarely remember any of my dreams. And so just the idea of having a dream that was so vivid and disturbing that I would have to, if I was King Nebuchadnezzar, to call in all my wise men and try to get an interpretation is just a foreign concept to me. I, I, I can't wrap my mind around that, but I know there are some of you that are deep sleepers and you have dreams, and there are probably moments in your lives where you've woken up and you've said, well, that dream was wild and crazy. I'm just going to discount that and move on with my day. And there's been other times maybe where you've thought, I wonder what that was supposed to say. I wonder if there was any deeper meaning to that. Now back in the time of King Nebuchadnezzar and in the, uh, the nation of Babylon, the idea of interpretation of dreams, the idea and the imagery of dreams was something that was a large part of their culture. They would look at these dreams as something that would kind of be a, a looking glass into what was to come. An, an idea of what might be happening. And so when King Nebuchadnezzar had these dreams, he was often troubled and he was often uncertain and he would want to know what was going on. Now, we're going to look at the whole chapter for today. And I'm going to switch things up a little bit. I'm going to read the whole chapter as we begin. So if you have your Bibles and want to uh, follow along, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV. And we're also going to have it on the screen. Uh, but if you want to follow along and have it open, we're going to be reading the whole uh, passage of Daniel chapter 4. And so bear with me over these next few minutes, and then we're going to jump in and take a look at what God is, is doing in their midst in Babylon. Starting at verse, chapter, or verse 1, chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He's called Belshazzar, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that a spirit of the holy gods is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. Here is my dream. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. 
Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, and on it, and, and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature is fed. In the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked, and there before me was a holy a messenger coming down from heaven. He called in a loud voice, cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground and the grass of, it, of the fields. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him live <coughs> with the animals among the planets, plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal till seven times pass before him. The decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know the most high is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets over them the lowliest of kings. This is a dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means for none of the wise men in my kingdom but you can, because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belshazzar, do not let the dreams or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, My lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meanings, uh, meaning to your adversaries. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touching the sky, visible to the whole earth, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals and having nesting places in its branch for the birds. Your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky and your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Your majesty saw a holy one, a messenger, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree, destroy it, but leave the stump bound with iron and bronze and the grass in the field while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times pass for him. This is the interpretation, your majesty. And this is the decree the Most High has issued against my lord, the king. He will be driven away from the people. He will live with the wild animals. He will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth gives them to anyone he wishes. The command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking in the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven, This is what is decreed to you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by before, uh, before you or by, pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately, what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. 
He was driven away from people and ate grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. And I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and my splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and moguls sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. All right. That was a long passage of scripture. And yet we're seeing some themes develop here, aren't we? We're seeing this idea of King Nebuchadnezzar boasting about his power, talking about how wonderful and how great he is. And at the same time, we're seeing him forget that God is in control. I think at the end of of, of almost every one of these chapters that he's played a role in, they end with him proclaiming God as the one true living God. There's this theme, but but he, he keeps forgetting it. He keeps moving on with his life. His life is, is one of grandeur. His life is full of what he wants he gets. And time goes by and he begins to get proud and puffed up in who he is and in his power. And he forgets who God is. <laughs> and I think there's this real reminder to us. And there's no King Nebuchadnezzar's here who rule the modern world, but we all have been so blessed. We have all been born or currently live in this country that is one of the safest places in the world to live and yet it's so easy as a result of that to forget what God is doing in our midst. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 reminds us that whatever happens God is in control. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We follow a God who knows all. We follow a God who understands everything that is going on in our lives and in this world. And we forget that sometimes. And here is King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's the ruler of Babylon and and the whole region of the world there. He was the most powerful political entity in the known world. John Oswald says he controls the life and death of countless human beings. He enjoys great wealth, prestige, and power. The dream and its consequences are a reminder that whatever he enjoys is at the pleasure of the true God. As the chapter is at pains to demonstrate is sovereign over the kingdoms of men and gives them to anyone he wishes. God maybe some of you here that are thinking this is perfect. I'm tired of living my life trying to control everything and having everything spiral out of control. I'm giving myself to God and allowing him to use me, allowing him to guide and and, and mold me into what he wants me to become. 
But just like there's some of us here like that, there are others here that are thinking, I want to know what's next. I want to know what's coming. I want to be in control of my life, my destiny. I want to be in control of where I go and how I get there and what I'm doing. And we find, not to the degree of King Nebuchadnezzar, but we find at points in our lives where God pulls us back and he says, no, 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 no. That's not how this is going. This is how it's going. This is the path. This is where I'm leading. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We're saying that at the end of the last two chapters, King, the king is praising God. King Nebuchadnezzar is literally proclaiming God as the one God they should all follow. Now, he, he, you'll notice in this language, he never distinctly says the only God. He, he talks about the only living God, but he also is still talking and, and he uses the term gods in a plural way even in the beginning of this chapter. He lived in a society that didn't mind bringing in everybody's cultures, didn't mind bringing everybody's religion in because he knew it would keep the peace. And so he never wanted to take that definitive proclamation of saying, this is the only God. And I think maybe in large part, this is what's getting him in trouble so often and, and, and every time we'd seem to turn around. But he's telling the people and he begins this chapter in the same way that the, the second and third chapter end. With him proclaiming and praising God. He's writing this from looking back from what has happened and saying, let me tell you about what God did. He's been brought down from his lofty places and knows that God is in control of his life. What's interesting is what the king is saying here is in an official capacity. A proclamation <coughs> that would have been read around his empire. All the way from Egypt to western Iran, from Syria to Saudi Arabia, and all of the country of, of Babylon would have been encompassed. And they would have heard what the king was saying about Daniel's God. And it highlights again Daniel's sovereign or God's sovereignty rather and and John Oswald goes on to say and the wonderful nature of his interaction with the world you see God didn't just make us and then remove his hands and take a step back and then just watch happen what watch what happened God is intimately aware of what his creation is doing the directions that his creation is taking whether it's towards him or whether it's away from him God is watching, God knows, and God is at work in this world, we're told. And King Nebuchadnezzar recognized that, that even he, as the most strong and mighty man in the world, didn't have complete say over his life. He didn't have the option to decide everything that was going on in his life. And so we find out in this whole chapter what has brought this king to this moment, this dream. And again, he needs another interpreter. And, and this is where I, I, I find it almost comical because look at who he calls. The first thing he does after he has another dream is he calls all of those wise men again. All of those people that in chapter one, or chapter two rather, uh, let him down. Couldn't interpret his dream. Didn't know what he was talking about. 
he'd ordered them put to death because they couldn't do the job that he thought they should be able to do. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, he wakes up from, from this dream and he's troubled and he's, he's uncertain of its meaning and he's uncertain of, of, of the implications that it has on his life and on his kingdom. And the first thing he does is he reverts back to the old way of, of doing things. Another hint is in verse 8 that he's reverting back to the old way of doing things is that he, he responds and uses Daniel's name that he's given him, Belchisar. And Belchisar was, is kind of a name of a name of one of, of, of King Nebuchadnezzar's gods. And so he's reverting back. We're seeing this idea that he, he, he understands who God is, but he's not making God the pivotal uh, point in his life. He's not in the scriptures. He's not praying to this God. He's got so many gods. Maybe he mentions him. Maybe he thinks about him. But God is not part of his life. And he keeps falling into these old habits. These old ways of living. He sees God at work. He understands the power of God. And yet he keeps going back and thinking, well, I like my old way. I like it when I'm the focus point of the attention. I like it when people are concerned about what I have to think. And he reverts back again and again. And I wonder what are some of the ways that we fall into those old habits. The reality is, is it doesn't take much when we're not guarding our hearts, when we're not doing those things that God requires of us to be one of his children. Now Daniel knew his wisdom came from God. That's what set him apart from all of these other wise men and all these other magicians. Daniel understood that without God in his life and at work, there was no way that he could interpret this dream. And so Daniel in some ways was, was set apart. He was different from everyone. He didn't, it's interesting that he doesn't go when the wise men are summoned and, and their worldly methods are being used. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's getting bothered and finally he calls for Daniel. It's like, ah, you know what worked last time? I wonder if Daniel might be able to interpret this dream as well. And so he he beckons for Daniel and Daniel comes. Now it's interesting in this dream that in the Near East religion, gods are often represented by trees. So here's God giving these, these dreams to King Nebuchadnezzar And he's using the imagery of King Nebuchadnezzar and his people to get through to him. Now here's what's even more interesting is these wise men should have known and understood this imagery far more than Daniel should have. But they're not getting it. They're not understanding it. And Daniel is. We know that King Nebuchadnezzar thought really highly of himself. This tree in this dream says that it, it, it provided shade for all, <coughs> all of the animals. Its branches were the home for the birds. It provided shelter for all the people of the lands. This was a mighty tree. This was not just a, a, a tree that we would see around here. It's not a tree we'd see in the redwood forest in California. This was a tree that stood on its own. It was mighty and tall and powerful and you would know that it was meant to show power. And Nebuchadnezzar's dream, we 
here in the NIV commentary shows that he identified himself with this tree. He is the keeper of, of, of all that he can see. He, he is above and over all the peoples of the land. Not only all the peoples of the land, but, but his power helped all the animals of the land. His power helped all the birds of the land. He is equating himself in this dream with God. Look at I have set myself up and I'm so powerful that really I'm just kind of like a God. And many of his people would have bought into that hook, line, and sinker. Now, in this dream, there's a messenger or watchman. We don't know if it's an angel or, or, or God coming down to him in a dream who orders the tree to be dismantled. And this tree is brought down, but it's very clear in, in, in this chapter that it was not to be destroyed. It was to be dismantled. Now, the stump indicates that even though everything had been chopped down, that, that all of King Nebuchadnezzar's power was going to be taken away, that there was still going to be a little bit of power left. So there was hope that the king could proclaim God and could be restored in his power. And this messenger says this for me. The tree is not brought down but destroyed. Now, I'm not equating myself to King Nebuchadnezzar here, but I think we can equate ourselves here a little bit to there are moments in my life, and I'm sure many of you, where God has brought us down right to the bare bones to be built up more in his image. Where I have gotten so messed up, where I've gotten so ahead of myself that I needed to be brought down to, to where God could begin to get my attention again. Now, I've never had a big crisis of faith. I've never had a big moment like that. There, there are moments in my life where I can see God taking things away in order to restore what was proper in my life. And I know that that's happened in so many of you as well. The difference with King Nebuchadnezzar is this moment, this bringing down of his kingdom to where he's literally crawling in the grass like an animal, living outside, his hair is growing, his fingernails are becoming like claws. He needed to be brought down to the very lowest denominator before he could get, before God could, could start to build him up. Because even at a lower level, King Nebuchadnezzar was still powerful. Even at, as he began to be, be insane for a while, King Nebuchadnezzar still had power. We know that. Nobody obviously stepped in during this time. Maybe he had people that did some work for him. But he was restored to power. He was still a powerful man. Even as he was crawling around on his belly. Even as he was, was acting like an animal. And I love that Daniel knows what this dream means. Daniel steps forward here, but he hesitates. And he hesitates because the message he's got to give to King Nebuchadnezzar is one that you would not want to give to somebody. It would be great, as, as, as Daniel says, if I could just tell you that, that some of your enemies are going to be vanquished, that you're going to get more and more powerful, but he knows that's not what this dream is about. And so he's He's waiting, he's biding his time, he's hesitating. And the king finally says, just let me know. I want to know what's going on. And the reality is, is that telling the truth to others brings with it a risk. 
to somebody struggling in their faith, <coughs> to have somebody in your life who's maybe turned their back on God. And you know, if I go and talk to them, if I go and have this difficult conversation with them, they may not like me. They may send me on my way and not want me to be part of their lives. There is a risk in telling the truth of God. Many in this world have no desire to hear of the things of God. And the king had taken Daniel captive. And Daniel is still showing concern for the king. Even though King Nebuchadnezzar could be so wicked oftentimes. He reminds him that the tree is Nebuchadnezzar. He will be judged if he continues to make himself to be a god. If he continues to live this way, Daniel says, you're going to wander around like an animal. John Oswald said, Daniel's advice here is simple. To avoid sin and be kind. Seems pretty straightforward. Don't sin, be kind to others. And, and something happened in this interpretation of the dream. Because in the next step, we see that 12 months pass away or passed by rather. And so King Nebuchadnezzar heard this dream. He, he, he heard all about it. And there is a sense that, that he probably changed his ways for a while. And it took 12 months before he started to slip back into his old, his old ways. And he slips back by being, on the, being at his house and overlooking the city of Babylon and be being aware that it was his power, as he thought, that brought that to being. It was his might that brought all that to be. And he surveyed the, 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 the city walls that were wide enough at their tops to, to actually have chariots turn around and be, be going up and down the walls with horses. And it, these were not just small city walls, they were massive. It had not only these walls, which were one of the modern wonders of the world back then, but also the hanging gardens. And we don't even get a sense of how big those were, but the scripture talks about them. And it's in this moment of surveying all that is his, that that pride creeps back in. And God steps in. John Oswald says, a man who thinks he is like a god must become a beast to learn that it is only Nebuchadnezzar, he raised his eyes toward heaven after a, a, a seven times, and we don't get a, a strong sense of how long this actually was, but it was long enough for his hair to grow out. It was long enough for his, his, his nails to become like the claws of a bird. And we know there were seven seasons of something that, that went on. And he went from being a king surveying all that was his, all the majesty and the glory of that domain to crawling around and eating the grass like the animals to sleeping outside in the cold in, in, in the nighttime to for all this time we don't know if there's anybody there keeping an eye on him or anything um, may have been but he was eating from the grass because his mind left him his senses left him interesting that as he stepped, sits standing on that wall surveying all that is his, a 
scripture says that really no time elapses. The words were still on his lips, it says in verse 31, when his sanity left, when he began to act in this manner. God was in control, and yet we see a God who is willing to extend grace. We see a God who is willing to extend mercy. Be kind, follow after me. These things won't happen. And isn't it true that sometimes we're humbled in order to make us aware of our need for God? Sometimes we're humbled in order to make us aware of our need for God. And other times we're humbled because we're acting like we are God. We can fall into those traps so very easily. So who is in control? In humbling a king, God was also protecting his people. His people that had been taken from Jerusalem and brought into Babylon. He cared about his people. And he was showing his power to all of those captors. His power to his to the Israelites who were still there, maybe uncertain of how long, Lord, will we be under the thumb of the Babylons, Babylonians. God also humbles those who turn their backs on him. King Nebuchadnezzar probably did more proclamation and outreach than many of us will do in a lifetime. He proclaimed God as the living God to his whole empire. Hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people as a result of what was going on in King Nebuchadnezzar's life heard that God God of Daniel was the living God and they were to follow him. But I think at the end of the day we have to remember that whether or not Nebuchadnezzar was in control was not for him to decide. At the end of the day whether or not I'm in control or you're in control is also not for us to decide. It is God who humbles and it is God who is in control. There's so much pride in this world. And King Nebuchadnezzar, one of his greatest downfalls was that he was so full of pride. And how we view our self-worth comes down to two things. How we want the world to view us and how we want or desire God to view us. And how we respond and how we live in those answers and how we, what we view as important will really be telling what we make most important in our lives. Because if I worry about what all of you think about me or what this world thinks about me, I'm going to be timid. I'm not going to do and say and, and be as bold in the things of God as I need to be. But if I worry, and I use worry in a positive sense here about how I want God to be, my desire will be to reach out to speak God's truth into the lives of everybody that he's entrusted to my care. God took this prideful, self-centered man and he humbled him. And once King Nebuchadnezzar acknowledged that all the peoples of the earth, including himself, are regarded as nothing, he says in verse 35, God restores him. He makes him something again. And not only does he restore him and make him something, King Nebuchadnezzar reminds us that he made him even more powerful. 
even stronger than he was before. So what does this dream mean for us today? What do we take from this chapter and, and, and how do we use this moving forward? Well, I think I, I, I've spoke a little bit about being humble and, and, and making sure that, that we're following after the things of God rather than the things of this earth. But we need to remember that Jesus came to earth and lived in the exact opposite manner of King Nebuchadnezzar on his time here. And so if we are going to follow after an example of a king I want to follow after King Jesus. He came and he, he, he did the exact opposite of King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar did things for his glory. King Nebuchadnezzar did things for his power. King Nebuchadnezzar did things to make himself more wealthy. Jesus came to earth and he did things to show the power of his heavenly father God. He did things that we could live. He willingly went to a cross so that we could find salvation from our sins. And it begs the question then of, of, of moving out of this today, who do I want to follow after? A, a, a leader from this world that may promise me great things, great riches and, and things like that, or do I want to follow after a God who says he will not leave me, he will not forsake me, that, that as I leave this place, that, that I will spend heaven and eternity with him, worshiping in the most powerful place, the most powerful and awesome location ever. I want to follow after that God. And who will the world take more notice of? Well, we sing, see King Nebuchadnezzar brought down from all his glory for a season. We also see Jesus who died on a cross for us. And we know that that was not the end. The end happened, the, the next thing happened three days later when he rose from the dead. The resurrection from the dead and he conquered the grave and he conquered death for every single one of us. John 3.30 says, He must increase, but I must decrease. King Nebuchadnezzar learned that the hard way. Let us choose to learn that through his word and know that he is God. There's a lot going on in this world. Father, I thank you for the book of Daniel. I thank you for King Nebuchadnezzar. Father, we don't know how much his heart changed from this moment on. We know that, Father, there were many times he proclaimed your name. He was the most powerful person in the world proclaimed your name. So, Father, we pray today with that knowledge, knowing that if that most powerful person in the world can proclaim your name, that I can do that too. Father, I pray that you will give us humble spirits, that you will give us a gentleness of character, and that as we tell the world about you and what you've done, that we will be like that. We've never seen him being flashy or words. We just simply see him being obedient. So, Father, I pray that for each of us today as we prepare to head out into this world.